You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans in chapter 15. And in this portion of Romans, we're seeing God's glory applied through service, as Paul speaks about the reality that everything is of him and through him and to him at the end of chapter 11, to God be the glory forever. So how is that glory applied and expressed in our lives in real time as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, one of those ways in which God's glory is applied is through service, through the service that we render. That's where Paul begins this great section in Romans 12 through 16, that we, I beseech you by the mercies of God, that you be presenting your bodies, which is our reasonable service. So Paul begins this section there, and in this section he's talking about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we noticed that uh, in serving Christ, uh, Paul had a very clear purpose, and his purpose, as articulated in verses 14 through 21, was to clearly proclaim the gospel. And he says, my purpose in proclaiming the gospel is to proclaim it to you, Romans, not because you haven't heard it before, but to fine-tune some truths regarding the gospel, not because they were in error, they were not in error, but simply to uh, more extensively and in-depth take them through the great truths of the gospel because it would be from them that the gospel would go forth in that part of the world. And also we noted that it's fascinating that the church to which Paul wrote the most extensive and thorough explanation of the gospel a few centuries later became the center for the most corrupted message of the gospel as it emanated, began to emanate from the theology and teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and so it's, it's fascinating to have that contrast there that the book of Romans so clearly and in depth articulates the gospel, and yet this same city became the source from which the most corrupted message of the gospel has emanated in subsequent centuries. So Paul says, I want to clearly proclaim the gospel to you. I want to clearly proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul says, I've been called as an apostle to the Gentiles, and that's my mission. That's my purpose, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And then he adds to that, as I do that, I want to be going to the places where Christ has not been named. I want to pour my life and my effort into going to those places where the name of Christ has not been proclaimed, where a foundation has not yet been laid. So that was his purpose, to clearly proclaim the gospel. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the same purpose. It's fleshed out differently in our lives, but it is the same purpose. Our purpose is to clearly explain the gospel, to clearly live the gospel. And so we move on this morning from Paul's purpose to Paul's plan. This is where we pick it up this morning. So with the purpose, Paul says, this is my purpose. 
clearly proclaim the gospel. With that comes a plan. How, how, how's he going to do that? What's that all about? And here we see the, the core of Paul's plan. Now, this isn't the kind of plan where you have a lot of steps articulated. But Paul knew where God wanted him to go. And he knew what he wanted him to do. Paul knew what God wanted him to do as he went to those places. And so as we go through verses 22 through 29 this morning, I'm going to take us more through a chronological um, unfolding of this in this text rather than how it unfolds verse by verse. We'll be verse by verse, but we're going to follow the chronology. And so Paul, as he says, uh, his plan is to, first of all, have the ministry of the gospel in Jerusalem, ministry to the saints, which is an expression of the gospel. The gospel is not limited to the message of justification, how it is we attain righteousness with Jesus Christ. All you have to do is read the book of Romans and you see that the gospel uh, contains this broad body of truth and this rich depth of truth of justification, sanctification, glorification, and God's sovereignty in the work of salvation, Romans 9 through 11. But with that is transformation. With that is God changing the lives of people, lives of those who come to true faith in Christ Jesus. And with that change, an important expression of that is service, service to the needs of other people, other believers. And that's what he's talking about as he talks about ministry in Jerusalem. So join me there in the verses 25 through 28, the first part of chapter uh, verse 28. He says, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister, to serve. That word minister means to serve, to serve the saints. So he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. So in carrying out this purpose, my immediate plan is to go to Jerusalem. Now he doesn't lay out you know, how he's getting there and a five-point plan and a ten steps, etc. And there's, there's a place for that. But Paul's saying, this is the plan. I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going there for the ministry to the saints. Why? For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia. Now, that's what is modern-day Greece, parts of modern-day Greece. To make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So it's obvious from that statement that a situation had developed among the believers in Jerusalem. They were experiencing poverty. And it's not difficult to conjecture why that would be. They were Jewish. And they were believers and followers of Jesus Christ in the heart of Judaism. And Paul had been part of that heart of Judaism, so he understood the intensity of opposition to those Jews who had professed faith in Christ Jesus, who had professed Jesus Christ as Messiah. He understood the intensity of that opposition. He understood what that meant when a Jew would come to Christ in that kind of a setting where there was a a large Jewish population, among other things, that very likely meant they lost their livelihood. They lost their job. They were kicked out of the synagogue. There was uh, social, social shaming. 
And perhaps, given the situation, they were forced to leave their family. I mean, all kinds of pressure brought to bear upon a Jewish convert to Jesus Christ. Those are just a few, and they are significant. It's not difficult to understand why a population of Jewish believers in Jerusalem and Judea would be having difficulties financially, experiencing poverty. And Paul says believers, Gentiles primarily, from the regions to which we have ministered in Macedonia and Achaia, again, modern-day Greece, they have come together and they have contributed of their assets and entrusted those assets to us, my, me and my ministry team. And now we are on our way back to Jerusalem to deliver these financial gifts to assist the believers in Jerusalem. He goes on to add in verse 27, it pleased them indeed, and they, and, and they are their debtors. <laughs> Stop and think about that. Oh, they did this because they owed it to them? Like they were paying a bill? How many of you recently paid your tax bill? It's a bill. Dick raised his hand enthusiastically. <laughs> and if you don't pay it, they're going to come talk to you at some point with intimidating statements. It's not that kind of debt, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. In verse 27, but he is bringing across an important concept. And Paul's consistent with this. The apostles are consistent with this. This is something they taught believers in the very first century. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, in other words, the gospel emanated from this population of Jewish believers. Obviously, the church started in what city? Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, that was... that. that, that uh, church was totally what? Jewish. If there was a spare Gentile here and there, it wasn't enough to affect the statistical reality that they were all Jews. And from there, the gospel then was being proclaimed. And it took a while to get up to Macedonia and Achaia, but it did. But it began there, and it was the church originally was Jewish, Jewish converts to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And they took the message of the gospel. And then Gentiles began to hear and to believe. So he said, they indebted themselves to you by extending themselves and taking the gospel to you. He says, now there's a flip side to this. Verse 27, their duty is also to minister to them in spiritual, in material things. So there, there's, there's a connection here. 
to where those who are ministering to others spiritually and bringing to them the gospel and the whole counsel of God, that those who are benefited by that ministry share in the material things of those proclaiming it. Now, here it was because of need. This is not a basis, please. And this isn't so much said to you as it would be to any of you televangelists or prosperity gospels that might be watching this video somewhere along the line, <laughs> which I highly doubt that's going to be the case. This is not a basis to say that anyone who is ministering the Word of God, that you, you have a responsibility to make us wealthy. That is not the point. The point is, they were ministering to needs, material needs that saints had in another part of the world. But it's based upon this principle that those who are ministering spiritual truth and bringing spiritual truth faithfully, biblical truth, that they are supported by and they're ministered to by the body of Christ. And they apply it in this particular way, in this setting. Now, this, this is a consistent truth that Paul brings across through in his letters. As he speaks about elders, he, he speaks about elders who, that, that they are worthy of honor, meaning uh, financial support, and especially those who labor well in the word and doctrine. So that's a different application of it, right? But it's the same principle, that those who are faithfully ministering the Word of God into the lives of other people, believers and unbelievers alike, and obviously the non-believers become believers, but that there is this, this responsibility to minister to the financial and material needs of those doing so, uh, because obviously they're setting aside other opportunities to generate that, and there's needs there. There are needs there. But that's the principle. And Paul just talks about, hey, this, this is the way it operates. This, this is the way it works. So uh, he says, this, this is right. What, what is happening and what has occurred by the believers uh, in Achaia and in Macedonia, it's right. It's normal. It's what we've taught. And, and they're ministering to the needs of these saints. And this is a, an important and valuable ministry. And they have entrusted us with these funds. And now we are on our way back to Jerusalem to distribute these funds to meet their needs. So he says, I've got ministry in Jerusalem. Verse 28, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. So that's why he speaks of this financial assistance. It's fruit. He says, when I have sealed it, when I have made sure that I have delivered this, not just me personally, but me and my ministry, when we have made sure that this is delivered and they have it and it's addressing the needs, then I've completed that ministry. He says, then I shall go by way of you to Spain. We'll come back to that in a minute. And so Paul's plan was, first of all, I'm going to Jerusalem to engage in this ministry which is an outflow of the ministry of, of the Word of God, of the Gospel, to believers in other parts of the world, ministering now to those from uh, who are in need. 
Then he speaks of his plan. He says, but I also intend to have ministry in Rome. So first, Jerusalem. Did Paul end up having ministry in Rome? Did he end up having ministry in Rome? Yes. Did he know how he was going to get to Rome when he was leaving for Jerusalem? No. (laughs) And of course, uh, we know how he got to Rome. The government gave him a free ride. They took care of all of his transportation, all of his accommodations. They gave him government escorts to make sure that he got from Jerusalem eventually all the way up to Rome. But he was a prisoner. And in prison because of false accusations. So he did have ministry in Rome. What's the point? That was Paul's plan, and that was correct, but he didn't know the means by which that plan would work out. And guess what? Many times, neither do you and I. We will know what God wants us to do, but we won't necessarily know the path that God is going to use to get us to that end, to fulfill that plan. And perhaps part of that is is that if we did know the means that God was going to use, we might begin to uh, suggest alternatives to God. Our responsibility is to follow what God would have us to do and trust His providential and sovereign working in the circumstances and situations of our lives and just carry out the plan. But Paul says, this is, is the plan. I'm, I'm going to have ministry in Rome. Let's look at this now, verses 22 through 24. For this reason, I also have been much hindered. What reason? The reason is stated in verse 20. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. He said, that's, that, that was my purpose. So that's what kept me from coming to Rome. Why? Because the gospel was already there. Paul didn't have to take the gospel to the city of Rome. It was already present there through the ministry of others. And so the purpose of proclaiming Christ where he had not been named, that kept his time occupied. And so he never made it to Rome up to this point. So that's the reason that hindered him from coming to the church in Rome. But now no longer having a place in these parts. What does Paul mean by that? That he's not welcome anymore? No. It means that, uh, <clears throat> it means that the proclamation of the gospel had been accomplished in those parts. That the purpose or, or, or that the, the work of establishing churches in the key metropolitan areas had been accomplished and that those Bodies of believers in those key metropolitan areas were now taking the gospel to their regions. And so he says, I no longer have a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. So this was a strong desire that Paul had. He really wanted to get there. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. So he said, my intention ultimately is to get to Spain. I want to come to you, have ministry among you, and be helped by you to get to that end. 
Paul just spoke of it as this is normal. Of the participation of the body of Christ in the extension of the gospel. Not only to be helped by you there, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. He said, I want to have be there and, and have the fellowship with you and among you and then go on my way to Spain. <clears throat> so Paul's plan was to have ministry in Rome. So go to Jerusalem. My plan is next to go to Rome, which he did. And then he said, ultimately, I want to have ministry in Spain. Verses 24 and 28. <clears throat> Whenever I journey to Spain. Verse 28. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed this uh, to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So this was his plan. Paul wanted to get to Spain, which was the western end of the Roman Empire. Beyond that was the Atlantic Ocean. So he wanted to press to the very boundaries of the Roman Empire proclaiming the gospel. There's no clear indication that Paul actually made it to Spain, but that was his plan. And he articulates that plan here. And the point is, is that with the purpose that God has given us, then comes a plan. And as we think about that in our lives, we need to think about the plan that God has for us as his servants in proclaiming the gospel. And one of the ways we emphasize that is that let's, our plan, God's plan for us, is to proclaim Christ where we live life. So wherever we are living life, and it's all a little bit different for each of us, let's proclaim the gospel there. Because it's, it's about the purpose, it's about the clear proclamation of the gospel, and God's plan for us is to proclaim the gospel where he has us living life. We prayed for Kevin and God blessing his witness to his nephew Luke this morning. I have never met Luke. I assume Amelia has. Maybe Adam. But you really don't know him. In other words, what I'm getting at is none of the rest of us have connection with Luke because we're not in his sphere of life. But Kevin is. And he witnessed to his nephew because he has connection there. What's the point? Well, the point is all of us have people that we have connection with that nobody else in this room will have connection with but us. And ultimately, if we do have any connection with him, if ultimately if we do have any connection with Luke, it, it most unlikely would be the, because Luke comes to know Christ as his Savior, and then through Kevin, there's some kind of a connection that's built here with us, and so we would then be connected to him on that level. But at this point, at this stage, that's where Kevin's living life. I hope you don't mind me using you as an illustration. Okay. Because I want us all to understand that. Because I, I want us all to understand that while Paul talks about his plan, God has us in his plan, and at the very least, this plan incorporates the clear proclamation of the gospel. And that plan, at the very least, means to be proclaiming it where we are living life. 
then that plan can build from there. But I want us to at least make that basic connection and that vitally important connection this morning. And we mentioned it before, but I want us to make that connection because I believe that's where the power of witnessing is at. It's, it's not primarily in the events that we do. And again, I'm not saying that to diminish events, evangelistic witnessing events. But the real power and significance and influence of our witness is where we're living life. People that we connect to on a regular basis because they're in our life. And so our plan is to be that witness where God has us living life. And if we're doing that, the more we do that, we're going to see God using us to see other people come to faith in Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. But here is his plan. God has a plan for us individually. God has a plan for this ministry, as he does for every local church ministry that is committed to him and to his work. And our, our purpose, our plan is to clearly, our purpose is to clearly proclaim the word of God to make and teach disciples. Our plan is to establish a Bible church, which we've done with the vision of establishing other Bible churches, Bible teaching churches in the Louisville metro area. That's our plan. Now, those are broad, and it's not all spelled out on every step as we articulate that, but Paul's wasn't either. Now, undoubtedly, they did what they needed to do logistically to get that done, that's, that's a given, that's understood. But it's, it's important to know what God would have us to do. And so we're here this morning because God has brought this into a reality and we have a mutual commitment to the clear proclamation of God's word and the full counsel of his word. And we want to extend, be extending that out into the Louisville metro area. Now, that's not the totality, but that's the core of our plan as a church family. So purpose, plan, and then Paul has petition. As we come to verses 30 to 32, so with purpose, with plan, Paul says, now I have some prayer requests. Let's pray. And first of all, let's notice that Paul's pretty intense about this. Uh, in verse 29, of verse 30, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God. Using that word that you strive together with me, that is a, a word of great intensity. So Paul is saying, I really want you to come alongside me in prayer, and we need to really call out to God to achieve the purpose and the plan. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need to come together in prayer because it's not just a matter of saying, this is my purpose and this is my plan, and go out and do it because this is a great spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, spiritual resistance. And if we think it's simply a matter of having a, a purpose and a plan and going doing it, 
we're failing to recognize that in this setting, we're dealing with spiritual realities. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 about spiritual warfare. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, ultimately, but against principalities and powers and forces of darkness in high places. Therefore, pray. So Paul consistently called people to come alongside him and pray with him. And he does so with the Romans, and he's never met them, but he says, be praying. Continue to pray. And what in particular? Pray for deliverance, a petition of deliverance. He says, pray this, continue to pray this, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Paul was very sincere about this because he knew that as he went to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, that as soon as those who did not believe found out he was in, in, in town, that they would be organizing opposition and that they would be organizing schemes to remove him. And that's exactly what happened. So he said, pray with me, pray with us that for deliverance from unbelieving Jews, because those people, they don't just play around. They are in it to wipe out the message of Christ. And they are willing to take people out. Really, it was like a spiritual mafia on a spiritual level. The, the, the attitude was, you're invading our turf in Judaism with this errant teaching about Jesus the Messiah. We know this guy. We put him on the cross. We put him to death. We know what he says. We know what he's all about. And we oppose him. We reject him. We hate him. And we hate those who follow him. And we are willing to remove them, not just from the country geographically, but to remove them permanently, if you know what I mean. And what did they do with Paul in Jerusalem? They had him arrested. They, they, they had a public demonstration. I could take you to the scripture, but I'm just going to summarize it for you. They had a public demonstration, pitched a big fit, mock rage, real rage, and demanded that the Roman government, government do something about this guy. They wanted him put to death, but so the Roman government put him in prison. Or they arrested him. Then there was concern for his life, and they said, well, we're going to move him up to Caesarea Philippi. Forty men, forty men vowed that they would not eat until they had taken Paul out and not taken him out to eat. They had taken him out in a mafia-type sense. That's why I called them the spiritual mafia. They were willing to take people out. They were willing to kill them, to rub them out for the sake of maintaining their spiritual agenda of Judaism. That's how intense these people were. And that's what Paul experienced when he went back to Jerusalem once they found out that he was there. He understood it because he was part of it. He was one of those guys. He was part of the spiritual mafia of Judaism. 
And I know that's kind of a tough way of expressing it, but we've got to understand those individuals who occupied Judaism at that time, the higher echelons of it, that's where they were at. They felt justified in killing people who opposed or threatened Judaism. Jews who threatened Judaism. They didn't care about Gentiles. So when Paul says, pray with me that I will be delivered from unbelieving Jews, he was very sincere. He not only knew what these people were capable of, but what they would probably do. So he says, pray. But knowing that, he still went to Jerusalem. Because that's the plan. And if God has us to do something then we follow the plan and trust him with the details. Okay? So petition for deliverance, petition for acceptable service. So now it's a, flipping it to the other focus. He says, pray concerning deliverance from uh, unbelieving Jews and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That as I come and minister to them, that there will be an, an acceptance and an acceptability of the ministry of the Gentiles to these impoverished, hurting Jews, that they will accept these gifts even though they come from Gentile sources. He said, it's, it's not a small matter. Pray, pray. That the purposes of God will be accomplished in this ministry. Third petition, fourth is to petition for God's will, verse 32. He says, That I may come to you with joy by the will of God. So there Paul's saying, Hey, pray that I will be able to return to you by the will of God with joy. So did Paul return to Rome with joy? Did he? Huh? Did he return to Rome with joy? Yes! <laughs> Even though he was a prisoner, he returned with joy because he knew that was God's will and God's way of working. And he returned to Rome. But it was all he understood within the will of God. So we don't predetermine the will and the ways of God. We just accept God's plan move in the direction of that plan and say, your ways are not our ways, nor are your thoughts our thoughts. And we don't predetermine or pre-plan God's will, how he works. We accept how he works. And his works are always perfect, and his timing is always perfect, and his ways are always perfect. And that's it's so vital to see that because Paul never anticipated that he was going to be a prisoner when he returned to Rome. But that was God's will. That was God's way. That was God's sovereignty. He had purposes in all of it. But because he embraced the will of God in the context of the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, he could embrace this way and return to Rome with joy as a prisoner. That's taking solid truth and bringing it to bear on a practical level in our lives. 
And then the end of verse 32, and may be refreshed together with you. Spiritual refreshment. Paul looked often for spiritual refreshment with other believers. There's that mutual, meaty ministry of spiritual refreshment to one another. Let's seek to do that. Let's seek to be that spiritual refreshment in one another's lives. That's what Paul looked forward to among the Romans and every other group of believers. Spiritual refreshment, not only from him to them, but from them to him. It was mutual. He says, pray for that. We can't take it for granted. One of the reasons that we come together as a body of believers is for spiritual refreshment. Let's be those sources of spiritual refreshment, not only as we come together, but as we interact with one another throughout the week. And then lastly, Paul's blessing as he concludes this portion. He says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's bless one another. Let's bless one another. May the God of peace be with you. He will be with us. But Paul's blessing and desire was that they would know the presence and the blessing of God in a very real way. As we wait for the plan of God to unfold in our lives and as we're engaged in that plan and watching how it may the peace of God, may we know it. So he, he concludes this section by extending blessing to the Roman believers whom he's never met. Let's be a people who bless one another and have thoughts of blessing toward one another. That's God's will. That's God's desire. So we have purpose. Clearly explain the gospel. Plan. And we saw Paul's plan. We're not going to Jerusalem. We're not going to Rome. And we're not going to Spain that I know of. <laughs> but he has us planted here. God's plan for us is to clearly proclaim the gospel for he has us living life. We can embrace that. We can do that. That is God's plan. And then let's pray. This isn't going to happen without God's enablement. Let's pray with each other. Let's pray for one another. Let's call out to our God that we can faithfully pursue the purpose and the plan that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessing of being together. We thank you for the fellowship together around you and your word. We thank you for these great truths that we have been blessed to be um, uh, exposed to this morning. And Father, help us to go from here and further contemplate your purpose and purposes for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And Father, clearly a central part of that is the clear proclamation of the gospel, the clear proclamation of your word. And Father, to, if we haven't uh, thought of the clarity of the plan that you have for us, at least on the level of, of being... Uh, that witness for Christ where we're living life. Help us to bring, by your grace, bring that to greater clarity. But Father, help us to uh, pursue the plan and 
Lord, understand the plan that you have for each of us in serving you. And Father, if we, if we desire to have further conversation about that or to further interact about that, help us to do that so that we can have a greater clarity about your plans for us and through us. And Father, help us to pray. Help us to call out to you. You are our source of strength, of wisdom, of courage, of boldness. You are the one who provides victory in this context of spiritual opposition and spiritual opportunity. It is your work, Father. So, Father, we come to you and ask your enablement. We ask for your strengthening. We ask for the empowering the Spirit of God in us and through us as your servants. And, Father, we commend ourselves now to you. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.